I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional or even remotely mature, but we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yeah. Did I, and you that dropping could, your voice? That could be, that could be our <laughs> first so intro. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. <laughs> need to test audio levels. David, can you speak? Yes. I've learned to speak from a young age and I continue to do so now. Wonderful. I'm so pleased. So just so you all know, um, I don't believe if you all could, um, you don't have to mute yourselves. Um, but if you all are nervous and, and again, and again, that's like a choice, like we're going to be would love your feedback. Would love to kind of roll with it. We have about, it looks like we have about maybe seven questions, right, David? Mm-hmm. And that's just the ones we have already. So there are a bunch of folks who wanted to join us who, unfortunately, understandably, random Thursday night, so appreciative of you all joining us. Oh, my goodness, you're amazing. Um, and also, like, lots of folks could make it or lots of folks would rather listen later. So we're trying to kind of accommodate everybody, and we hope to do more of these, too. So this is hopefully just a starting point. But we thought we would just start by doing a little bit of a, hi, here's who we are. Here's where the podcast came from. Pretty short, but we we wanted to like fill you in on the cool backstory. So it's a super cool backstory. Take it away, Dave. Well. (laughs) With that pressure. Well, I think the backstory is important to kind of honor here and it gives context for why we're all here. And I think uh, for a long time, I had been walking around the world evangelizing ADHD as best as I could. And for a while at this, we were working at this place, the Center for Contextual Change together. And I just finished a training. And this was a little bit before you on ADHD, talking about the neurobiology of ADHD. And one of the people that was in the training gave me this fancy microphone that I'm actually using right now. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the microphone to record an audiobook. And they're like, you have to, you have to make this audiobook happen. You have to do something. You have to record something. And I, I took the microphone. It's like, oh, good faith. Like, absolutely. I'm going to do this right away. And of course, like my brain's like, just record an audiobook over the weekend and like logged it somewhere and didn't do anything with it. And then Fast forward, we give. I'm giving the ADHD talk again at the center. And Isabel, you and I are talking after I gave the talk. We were talking a little bit about whether or not, and, and I don't want to like out you right now, but I'd say like I this think is I'm a moment where pretty out at this. Point. You're pretty out. Your name's I'm on a podcast. Proud, yes, right. Not but to pull out that side note, but just to like own. Yeah. Anyway, you ride the lightning. Don't worry about it. But I think I think one of the things that's really important <laughs> is like here. Here we were, we were talking and you said, I think, I think I have ADHD. And immediately I was like, of course, like, welcome. Yay. I was so excited. And you went right from that to how can we make this accessible to people? How can we make a podcast? And right in front of the mailbox, I said the old place where we work together. I think this is, this was born. Yes. Yes. And if I recall, part of that origin story was me having this slow, slow motion, I'm starting to see the matrix kind of moment 
in um, not just in that specific lecture you were giving, David, but also in our work together, um, having collaborated working with a number of clients who have ADHD, where, you know, I would sort of say random things to you like, you know, I'm just noticing like it's kind of hard for me to notice when it's there. <laughs> like, why is it hard for me? You know, and then like certain things would sort of pop up and then like it just built and built and built. And then finally I was like, I think I came to you. And by the time I did, I was like shaking. I was literally like. I don't know if I'm sort of making this up. Maybe I'm making this up. Maybe it's like, like, I don't know how to explain it, except I thought it might be wishful thinking, if that makes sense. Because <laughs> it just felt like it explained so much and would, would mean that it would remove so much shame and blame and guilt and doubt and all this stuff. And then when you promptly said, when I said, I think I might have ADHD, you went, oh yeah, I know. And then you went, welcome to the tribe. And I like <laughs> tears just on their own started running down my face in the middle of the workday, which is actually not that surprising. I have big feels and I feel them, but I, I think I, it just, it meant so much. And the thought that we could offer that moment, like in my head, it's literally like, like a, like a, like a, the excuse just to listen to you, David, share your specific expertise and wisdom in a really fun way so I kind of it's like I feel like I can unmask myself entirely and just unabashedly ask you every single question that pops into my head and you're like yes I can answer it or I can try um so the thought that we could offer that to people and increase the accessibility to yeah. this like you know we were, t we were talking about how like you know there's a barrier like not not everyone can afford a therapist let alone an, a therapist who's like super ADHD savvy and if you luck into one doesn't mean you can like always go to them forever right like there's there's so many things that could stand in the way of you ever getting this information and if this is going to help even just like one person like or it's going to help a family member like look at their loved one with like a new new lens of you know maybe some warmth or curiosity or acceptance like that would just that I, would I think... be great yeah, yeah it, it's it's kind of part of the mission and I think you you know I want to piggyback on that and like make it even more serious and talk about my, my brother just for a second but like I think you're talking about removing the paywall to being to psychoeducation like removing the paywall for someone to be able to gain insight on why they they feel or think or act the ways that they do and to that end I think it's important to really honor something my brother used to say uh, he's very eloquent and he can like making very complicated things are very short but he would say that his life, one of his life's major purposes was to increase understanding to reduce suffering. And when I think about that in the context of what we're doing, I feel like that's the basis of what we're doing as well, trying to increase understanding to reduce suffering. And what I mean by suffering is so many people don't understand they think the way they do or they feel the way they do or why they work differently, and they feel a lot of shame because of it. And so one thing that I also want to make sure that I'm saying right now, like for the record, is we have intentionally, and you've been such a good, good like steward of this, Isabel. Like we've been really mindful about not being perfect, not slowing down our speech, not fitting a neurotypical mold. We've been really clear on keeping in moments where we have misspoken or forgotten something. Or Zoom or, is veiled. Or, <laughs> or Zoom whatever is, is going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're not in there because we, because we, Isabel didn't notice that they were there. This isn't like uh, something that we, we missed. This is part of like how we can unmask and normalize behaviors for people, how we could increase understanding to reduce yeah. suffering. Yeah. Increase understanding to reduce the suffering. I could just 
just, I know we're all listening to this, but like there's a lot of love coming from this Q&A. I could just feel it. So without further ado, we have a bunch of great questions and we want to get through as many as possible. And then we will save some room at the end for you all who are here tonight to ask more questions and ask for anything at all you're curious about. Okay. So do you mind, David, if I ask the question and maybe you run with it? Oh my God. I would love it if you could read that because yes, please. please. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let me uh, just get this going. Oh, oh my goodness. Ready. First question. Why is it that when I am asked a question like this, my mind goes blank? So I think what this person is referring to is on the Q&A, we sent out something that said, like, ask us anything that you, you've ever wondered about ADHD, like, ask us. Mm -hmm. And so this person is saying, why, when I'm asked a question like this, does my mind go blank? I love that. I love that question so much that that I had my brain did the splits, like like in this weird Jean-Claude Van Damme way on two countertops. I'm, I'm standing up there and I'm straddling them because I think it can come from two different places. I think in one place. <laughs> wait, wait. Okay. I'm sorry. That visual is just going to stay with me. Continue. Sorry. I mean, straddles uh, is important. Right. right. Uh, but I think in one truth, if, if the person who asked that question has ADHD, which we don't know, I could say that's a, that's a structureless question. The question is very large. It's very big. And it doesn't create any kind of structure for somebody to think about. So it would be very hard to come to a conclusion. And the question would have been much easier if it was, what do you think about ADHD as it applies to your transitions to leaving? And now everyone has a hundred ideas because we've just structured that question so much differently. Oh. Now, on the flip side, right? Let's honor that this might not be an ADHD person asking this question. This could be a neurotypical person asking this question. And I think it is again, a really good question. You might not know how many different parts of the world ADHD actually touches. And I think often when we're looking at people, diagnostics, we often don't think about like, how people learn best or the energy levels that they hum at or their natural homeostasis, like what that looks like. It can look a lot of different, it can look different for different people. And you might not think that ADHD has something to do with somebody's sexual appetite or how they deal with rejection or why they're so persnickety on textures or why is time a hard thing or why does smells really activate me or why do sounds really activate me? Or how come this person looks selfish? Why, could, why does this person not take care of themselves? Like as I'm saying all these other pieces or how come this person's regularly independent and doesn't ask for help? How come the, like we could go on in all these different places of like what ADHD can look like and all of a sudden it structures the question for a neurotypical person much differently. I, I think like, I, that's a great question. That is, and side note, it's hard for me not to chime in. As you were listing all those things, I was literally doing, as, as someone with ADHD, I would think I was going like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and then at one point I got on this whole tangent about how a certain shade of pink always makes me feel nauseous when I see it. Like actually physiologically nauseous for no apparent reason. And it just so happens to be the color pink that like happens to be on part of my screen right now. And so I'm feeling nauseous as I'm seeing it anyway. This is this is what's happening. Um, I do want to. Can I offer another thought too? Yeah, and and please. just maybe to help you, like maybe you can answer this as like a tangent on it. Um, what is it about when you're sitting with such an open ended question? Like why? Like I know you said it's the lack of structure and it's so open ended, and then you said there's a way you could ask it that immediately imposes the structure. Like mm -hmm. is there a? Can you give me like? 
I don't know. Can you like give me something that I could do yeah. to make the question better for like the next Q and A for so, example? So yeah, yeah. The, like what we could do is think about categories. The game, right? That game has a bunch of titles or headings that can help really cut down variables. So let's eliminate like one of my favorite things, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but ordering food, right? Ordering food can be a very difficult thing for people with ADHD. Okay, another moment where, right, like people Showing are raising hands, their hands and nodding on the, their right. hands, yes. It, it, but it's important to think about this in another way as it pertains to structure. You can literally, as a grown-up, eat whatever you want. It's not structure. You can, like, you're not a child with a limited menu where you can argue about peas. You can literally get whatever you want. And so then it's like, what do I want? Oh, my God, is that a complicated question? Do you see how big that just got? Like, what do I want? We're talking about existential questions that people really think about. What do you get at buffets? Why do buffets exist? All buffets. I don't understand them. They are so intimidating. Anyway. And for me, me, I'm like, hey, a buffet, at least I'll find something I'll like. (laughs) Because it's like, I don't have to make a decision. And and at the same time, it's like, um, what kind of food do you want? Hot food or cold food? Do you want food you use silverware for or food that you use your hands with? Do you want spicy food? Or do you see how all of a sudden, as as these questions get asked, <gasps> it's much smaller categories. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So like for example, it could be like, do you have any do you ever wonder how ADHD impacts your work life? Boom. Structured. Or it. like, right, like just add like like or add, getting to work. Getting to, oh, sprinkle in. Okay, so you sprinkle in a detail, you sprinkle in a category. Mm-hmm. This also explains why sometimes it's easier to answer some of these questions when they're more specific. Or when someone starts talking and all of a sudden they've created structure and now you have a thousand questions in your head. Like, does this relate to that? It's like, well, th- thank you, structure, for happening. That's I love that question, though. It's so real. That is, yes. Thank you so much to the person who asked that um, on behalf of all of us. Um, the next question, can we continue on? All right, we've got next question. When considering medications, how important is it to see someone who is well versed in ADHD? So, how do you know if someone is well versed um, when a lot of psychiatrists will say they are and maybe actually aren't? Yeah. So, how can you tell um, your psychiatrist or whoever's prescribing you, let's say, medications for ADHD, is someone who sort of gets ADHD? If I'm hearing that. Oh, it's so real. Okay. So, so I think I'd want to remove some pressure and put different pressure in different places. How important is it for someone to have a lot of experience with ADHD? Maybe not the most important thing. And I think that's something I want to make sure I'm really honoring in a different way. I would be more concerned about their biases around ADHD. And I think I would ask that question, right? Uh, How do you see ADHD treatment? Do you often treat people with ADHD? What do you think of that diagnosis? You can ask people this question. I think often in psychiatry relationships, we forget that we hired them, that they are working for us, that we can vet them to see if we want to work with them. We don't have to. And I think that's a freeing part around agency for people to be able to see a psychiatrist. I mean, that being said, let me give you an answer that I think would be an amazing answer. Um, I actually don't have a lot of experience with ADHD. Uh, I think that there's a lot of treatments that we can try. I want to try whatever you're interested in, and you can tell me if it's working or not, and we'll work together to find something that works for you. Oh, I just felt something as you said that. Like, that would it, be it, so it, wonderful. Can you experiment fun. with me? Yeah. Is there a rigid course? Like, if somebody comes in and says, I don't believe in stimulants because they'll lead to drugs and, and, and hellish behavior, I would go, that's an incredible bias. So you don't drink coffee. You stay away from scary movies. You don't walk close to the edge. Those are all stimulants, right? Like... Like, how, how are you classifying this stimulant in such a way? And 
when when people are drawing conclusions around ADHD medication and substance abuse, it is usually an incredible leap. And, and it's hard because there's a lot of people that will hear this and be like, it's not an incredible leap. I know one person that drank and they drank because they had, the, the leap is very similar. I would say empirically, uh, milk, uh, milk is a gateway drug, right? 100% of the time, every single person we know that's addicted to oxycodone and heroin has had milk before both of those. Whoa. And, Drop and right the mic on that. Also, right the milk away, lobby is going to come after us. So bring it lactose. <laughs> but I, but I think like it's Big it's it's a it's a bad correlation. And I think when we look at the simulant nature, the question is, does it work? Not not is it the right thing to do? Um, it, it's amazing. I'll talk with people who are older and like ADHD, and they'll be like, Yeah, I got off medication. I don't need it anymore. I just drink thirteen cups of coffee. Mm. Like, or five hour energies or like yes yeah. yes well can i kind of ask us like a follow-up to this so okay so let's say that you are i mean i'm also like taking from my own experience but like it's hard to get an appointment with a psychiatrist it is it takes forever and like psychiatrists mm-hmm. are like you're kind of stuck sometimes with whoever yeah. has matching availability and like you're in the office for like 15 minutes if that and it's like Sometimes you're lucky that they like get, I mean, I, I make it sound yeah. so horrible, but like, you know what I mean? It is a little bit sometimes of that, like, I know there's amazing ones out there, but there's also a lot of like, almost like a, I don't know how to describe it. Like a, like, okay, just like, come on, check the boxes, answer the questions on and on. Right. So, so I guess what I'm hearing you say, just to clarify is like the person who's prescribing your meds, you hired them. So you're their boss. So you can fire them and you can keep looking around and you could look for other jobs, quote unquote, that makes sense in my head. You can look for other employees, (laughs) other employees while you are working with one and you can keep looking until you find one. And thankfully, hopefully fingers crossed with access to telehealth and telemedicine increasing Mm -hmm. fingers crossed continually. Like there will be more access for people who are already like stuck somewhere where it's like, there's like three people I got. Um, but and, it also maybe makes more sense to not makes more sense, but would be more valuable to have someone ask these questions of your therapist too, or ask these questions of like whatever professional maybe you have more FaceTime with too, because that's going to be the person who might be informing you even more. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm this, taking a stretch there. No, no, this is so hard because anyone that hears this is not going to see how vehemently I'm nodding my head while you're talking right now. Okay. So like I have okay. to say that like I'm nodding my head like crazy right now as you're talking. I even want to remove a stigma a little bit. Psychiatrists are there to deal with psychiatric issues, depression, anxiety, lots of different kinds of psychiatric issues. Let's just be really clear. ADHD is not a psychiatric issue. It's a medical issue. So even going to a doctor to get an ADHD medication prescribed would not be out of bounds if the interventions work. If you go to a doctor, you get some medicine, it starts making you feel horrible. You feel really anxious. You you can't sleep for a week. Something bad happens. You go to a psychiatrist. (laughs) <laughs> like you would advance the level of care that you need, but you wouldn't, I want to make sure that we like break the rule that anyone that has ADHD has a psychiatric issue. Like that's yeah. not true. Cause and, and that's anyone, also, you're right. It casts it as an issue as opposed to mm-hmm. like, you wouldn't be like, Oh, uh, I have diabetes. I now need to go see a psychiatrist because psychiatrist. sometimes I feel, right. you know, like my, when I'm, I'm really, my blood sugar's low. I'm like super in a funk. Right. Yes. Okay. And, and this is part of how we can stigmatize something because you know, you go to an eye doctor, you don't have to go to a psychiatrist. And this is this is literally a medical difference between the way brains brains function and the way that the brains are naturally reinforced. And a person happens to need more stimulation to be able to function. It's like that. 
I wouldn't want to encounter someone's bias that tried everything else first before they went to stimulation. That that doesn't seem like that would make sense. And it seems like in in the ADHD world, like you're you're usually working in one or two ways. Do you need more gas or do you need more breaks? And like that's that's where we start. And so do you need do you need stimulants or do you need something that's gonna like stop the stimulation? Do you need something that's gonna slow you down a little bit? Those are the two areas we look at. And when 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 we look at every aspect of ADHD as a psychiatric issue, right? We have people trying antidepressants. We have people trying anti-anxiety medications. I'm sorry, I'm going off on a rant right now. And it's just oh, like, rant away. I see lots of side note. Everyone on this live call is like nodding a lot. So like my hope, I think we're all on the same wavelength right now, right? Yeah, okay. And, and the hardest part is when people get medicated to reduce anxiety, they physically act out in ways to increase stimulation. So you see kids refusing to go to class now because they don't care about anything. And what are you going to do to me? And like, just focus on what works. And I think- I had a conversation with a good friend the other day where we were talking about like a family member really curious about whether or not they needed to go get testing to find out whether or not their child has ADHD. And I think there's two really important schools of thought. You want to get some testing, go for a neuropsych, go for a neuropsych, get some testing. And everyone that goes for a neuropsych, please remember this. It is very hard for neuropsychs to differentiate between anxiety and ADHD. So Let's just float those two things up there. Yeah. And so at, at okay. a certain level, knowing the origin of what's coming isn't as important as what's making it feel better. Does medicine help? Does more sleep help? Does exercise help? Like those things. Sorry, this is way too long. Can't no, no, I'm so sorry. I'm sure it sounds as if I was not listening, but what I was also doing was queuing up the next question. So what you heard is my attempt to do two things at once, which is unsuccessful. The thing the thing I really want to just hit on really quick is can we, side note, as we're talking, can we maybe pencil in the idea that we'll revisit that blend of anxiety, ADHD? I know we do already in, in future episodes, but can we like plan on coming back to that? Because yeah. this whole topic seems like so rich. All of these topics, by the way, are so rich. Well, this is just a sampler platter. All right. So without further ado, for the interest of getting some more questions in, next question is, uh, okay, so um, I, I, this, this question might be coming from a professional. Um, they're talking about, I have partners or spouses of clients who have an ADHD diagnosis who can get very irritated and annoyed with their ADHD partner. Um, tips for couples navigating their way through this. So it sounds like the question relates to, and I know we sort of touched on it in our um, episode on why does feedback hurt so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if anyone wants to go back and check it out, it's uh, literally called why does feedback hurt so much. <laughs> but it sounds like this person's asking, like, what what do you do when you're sitting around like somebody who is carrying a lot of feels, perhaps, mm -hmm. and maybe some animosity, irritation, yeah. annoyance, hostility, whatever, about, you know, their partner or their spouse who has yeah. ADHD. Oh, it's so hard. I think, I think like a big piece of that is like psychoeducation becomes so, so important, like understanding what is ADHD and what is the middle finger. And I'll, I'll say it like that because Sometimes people interpret someone's giving them the middle finger and it's really more inattentive symptoms or hyperactive symptoms. It's not about them not thinking about another person. It reminds me of, a, of some research that they did a long time ago looking at, and this is a moment where I can't bring back the actual show notes. We'll try to figure this out. But mm -hmm. they took two groups of people and they put electrodes on their forearms, six different electrodes, I believe. And they put them in a room 
and they'd been one at a time, like a big gym. And they would point at a person in the back of the gym. And they'd say, see that guy in the window? And one group were like, yeah, we see that guy in the window. Like, that guy's name is Steve. And Steve, like, is a researcher, too. And he's going to hit a button in front of him six different times. And each one of those buttons is going to shock you. I want you to rate how much those shocks hurt. So this one group is like, okay, we'll do that. And they all took turns getting shocked by Steve. Next group of people come in. Same room, same electrodes, same Steve. And they go, see that guy in that room there? Steve waves. And they go, that's Steve. He has no idea what's going on. There's 32 buttons in front of him. He's going to press every one of them once. What he doesn't know is that six of those buttons are actually going to shock you. Please write down how much they actually hurt. So these two groups rated the, the pain between these two experiences, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and what do you think they found between like Steve, the intentional shocker or Steve, the bumbling shocker? Like, which one do you think hurt more? I mean, I kind of, I, I, I want to say, I, maybe this is not the right answer, but I feel like the intentional thing would be, would feel like you're not just getting hurt. You're also getting like emotionally hurt, you know, like, ow, well, like oh. you are intentionally doing this to me. What's wrong? Like, why? Why, Steve? Why? You are so on it, Isabel. Steve is hurting you more. And what they actually found is on a Likert scale from zero to 10, 10 being the worst pain, one being no pain. They were often rating it over at five and up to seven when there was intentional. Oh. And what is not intentional, it would start around like six or five and go down to four or three. <laughs> I mean, it was that they were like, he did it again, didn't mean to, that was a little shock. Like versus, and in this moment, you can think about all those times where you've been in that lockdown, like drag out fight with your friend. And then you're like, why did you stand me up? Look, I did and I was stuck. And you're like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. I wasn't really upset. Like, like right away, you could feel better because it doesn't hurt as much. And so- it's a very long-winded answer to saying, realizing what they're not intentionally doing to you is a really important thing. Mm -hmm. Knowing where you can expect things to change and where you need to expect acceptance. Those are important things because it's not that you're helpless and that someone with ADHD is gonna run amok and destroy your life and you gotta let them go because they're handicapped. It's like not at all the, the reality. If, if your love language is someone being on time, it's like, oh God, I'm sorry. That's gonna be a struggle bus with somebody with ADHD. <laughs> right let's just let's just honor like like that's gonna be a hard thing to me but if it's around quality time and we can define quality time differently and it's not just one time on Thursdays it's lots of time during the day then impulsive moments where someone wants to spend lots of time with you is perfectly fine so it's around oh, okay right? I'm hearing it, that I'm hearing that yeah like gets, you you create an accommodation around like that doesn't deny that that is going to happen. Like those misses are going to happen, but you also don't set it up so that the person with ADHD is like always in the hot seat and always having to be on the defensive and always having to be like, but it's my ADHD. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like where it's like this cycle where like, they're at, like, okay, at this point in time, my eyes are my, blue. Like, ah, you're totally you know, right. like, like if I'm upstairs in my office and, and I'm like, I send a text to my partner, like, Oh my God, I'm just finishing up. I'll be down in five minutes. And like 30 minutes later, I'm downstairs. I immediately I'm walking down the stairs like I'm gonna get beat up. Like I don't know why I think this. Like, like I have the nicest partner in the world. Like would never yell at me, but I'm like oh, I'm failing again. And I come on down and then I see my partner going, Hey, how's it going? And I'm like, Oh, I'm not in trouble. Like immediately, if my partner would have met every time, be like, You said five minutes and it's been seven. If that would have happened every time, I would not have gotten. I might have gotten better at not texting. Oh, uh, you sure you would just avoid the shame guilt sandwich yeah. you might get 
Yeah. But you wouldn't necessarily change your behavior because yeah. we do know that that kind of negative reinforcement is not mm-hmm. effective for behavior change. So in the context of couples or someone that doesn't have it or someone that may not be diagnosed and needs to be diagnosed, that's when getting diagnosed is important. That's when learning like where the beginning and the end of like what ADHD looks like is important. Can, like, can, can selfishly I... promoting our podcast is important, but like this is why. <laughs> well, David, can I jump in really fast? Okay. So something just came into my head. What if you are partnered with somebody who is either not aware that they have ADHD, like on their journey, they're like mm-hmm. not there yet, or they are aware, but like, it's like they know they have it, but they're not like actively looking into it. Like, like almost like, what about if there's partners listening whose partner has ADHD who are like, I can't get my partner to listen to this podcast right now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what then? <laughs> so I think, I mean, this is really hard. I think. <laughs> I know. I think I'm what sorry. I was, what I I was, no, like, no, no, no. No, no, no. It's like when someone doesn't want to change, that's an important piece of data too. And I think, I think listening is an important part and there's a lot of rigidity that can come with ADHD. And it's like, you don't have to listen to this podcast. You don't have to get more information and these behaviors have to change or become more understood. So how can we understand what's happening more if you don't have ADHD? Wow. And it's amazing because all of a sudden the answers become like, you meant to do that? It's like, no, I didn't mean to. No, it, but it's, but, and then they run into that problem of like, I don't, I don't have problems in school. I'm not a dysfunctional person. I can get up and like I don't the, have problems. All the shame, the myths, the stigma, all the stuff yes. that has yeah. probably, I mean, been heaped on all of us, but is heaped on ADHD. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. I feel like. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Get, I don't know if I can talk. Um, yeah, please join us. <laughs> because I feel like until, until that person wants to you know, figure it out for themselves, it might always be seen as intentional. And I th- it, it makes me think, Dave, I'm going to out you here. Do it. Dave and I, Dave and I hang out a lot and we uh, react to each other very compassionately. But I think if we didn't know each other, we would think all of it is intentionally uh, trying to hurt each other. Um, <laughs> the best example is like, you know, we'd, we'd be hanging out and it's like, uh, we decide to go somewhere. And he'll be like, okay, uh, let's go. And I would literally put on my shoes and stand at the door because I'm like, let's go. And then Dave will take 30 minutes to mm-hmm. finally leave. Mm-hmm. But I'm fine with that because I understand it takes him 30 minutes to leave the house. Um, and for me, I'm just going to stand here and wait because once we're ready to go, let's go. And and, can I, and this is and this is the thing I want to make sure I'm honoring because you also have ADHD, right? Like throwing that out here. Yes. I don't ever try to get you to stop waiting by the door. Right. Oh, that's friendship. We should have, that should be on right. a pillow that's or a t-shirt or it's something. I want to cross-stitch that a little bit. But, but I think like that's the interplay here that when we're, when we're talking about like our awareness of the intention there and our awareness of the routines there, it lends to a lot of compassion. I'm not going, if he stands by the door, because I said two minutes from now, if you don't stand up, you son of a bitch, like, it's not happening. But, it's but, like, like, you don't let it get, you don't take it as like, oh, he's impatient, right? Like, you also have to practice kind of releasing some of the stuff that's every, yours that you're dumping onto that. As every a time it ADHD, happens, you're right? totally right. Every time it happens, I go, I go, oh, I, he's putting on his shoes. That means he's going to stand by the door in two minutes. Good thing I'll be ready this time. All I got to do is put on my shoes. And then his shoes are on and I go, great, I'm going to go, where are my shoes? Oh, where's my wallet? Oh, where's the frisbee? 
Oh, and then that was, but in my head, all that stuff was ready. I was there. And all, and, and in reality, I've gone and stand by the door, and I get lost in my head for thirty minutes. And then they, <laughs> the time is like lapsed, and it's ready to go. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have that thought where you think, "Hey, I'm nothing," stop. Remember, you're something. Something's shining. That's right. Just as you are. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of, and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.